What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace. And I'm Tyler Short. And we're going to start on a somber note today. And whether you're listening to this on the day it released, um, this will be a couple weeks ago that, yeah. that this happened. But um, we lost somebody. We lost somebody who's, you know, very important uh, to both Tyler and I, and I think to music in general, Sinead O'Connor passed away um, just yesterday at the time of this recording. Um, and I mean, I'll tell you this, Sinead is someone that I knew of when I was younger, but as I've aged, I've come to appreciate even more both for her music and for her activism. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people have said this in obituaries, but after, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in detail, but after, you know, the incident that she's probably most infamous for, even for people that don't know shit about her music, when she was on SNL, she did um, an acapella version of Bob Marley's War. And then at the end, ripped up a picture of the Pope that said, fight the real enemy. Um, that at the time derailed her career mm -hmm. and there are a lot of uh, real bastards, Frank Sinatra, Joe Pesci, and a few others who, you know, it was funny, like she gets, you know, basic, whatever the, the equivalent of canceled was then for um, ripping up a picture of the Pope and speaking out in defense of the literally millions of children who've been abused by the Catholic church. Um, it turns out, you know, she was right about everything. Mm -hmm. um, and those two, you know, literally threatened violence against her because of it. And, you know, not shit happened to them. Um, they still had wildly successful superstar careers. Um, and so uh, anyway, Sinead is, is, was brave as hell. And it's no secret um, that the last few years for her had been a struggle, particularly this last year after her teenage son committed suicide. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, just wanted to take a few moments to acknowledge, remember Sinead and, and talk a little bit about not just mine and Tyler's appreciation for her, you know, both as an artist and as an activist, but also um, connections to the, to the world of music that we, talk about on this podcast yeah no um my i mean my introduction to Sinead o'connor was that controversy mm -hmm. i remember being a little kid and comprehending that she she was in trouble and people were mad at her for yeah. this and um i even remember like being like curious like 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 uh, at a certain point like what what was she mad at the pope for i feel like there's a lot of reasons yeah <laughs> like um like i mean especially being um you know of irish descent like mm -hmm. a lot of issues you can have with the catholic church of course and she lived so much of that herself as a young person in ireland yeah i mean i didn't even know like till like you know maybe five six years ago because i'd always till till i really engaged myself in des a desire to learn more than you know i learned in high school mm -hmm. um 
I never realized exactly how uh how fucked Ireland has always been. Because yes. even when I was a kid, the potato famine wasn't really ever explained to me. Right. It's either erased or it's treated as if it were just like a naturally occurring phenomena yeah. rather than yeah. right. Rather than no the British colonizer, right? We're we're starving Irish people on purpose. Yeah, you know, I think what um, it, Trevelyan called it a gift from God to punish the Irish. Um, but yeah, so I mean that, and that, and that, and so much of like the the way Irish women were attacked by the church for mm. being single <laughs> at times, like. The way they just like kidnapped people and threw them in homes and kept them, some of them there their entire lives just because yep. they were unmarried. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. And and now like to really understand like Sinead O'Connor is good mad at the Pope for so many <laughs> reasons. Right. The, the, the fact that she picked the most egregious like is only uh, more embarrassing for people who got mad at her. <laughs> <laughs> oh completely and i mean yeah the, putting it too like right in the context of of the, the experience of irish people like you you finally begin to emerge from under the thumb of centuries of oppression by the british um and you know and obviously i'm just speaking of people in the republic not people in the north that still live under british occupation um and then you know you're not really free though. You're under the thumb now of the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, learning, you know, it's interesting as well, because at that point, I'd just say like in, in popular culture in the early nineties, you know, now whether people love or hate the Catholic church, there's just that common understanding that like, whoa, the church is associated with child sexual abuse and, tons of powerful people priests bishops all the way up to the pope were involved yeah either either directly abusing or covering up you know and like completely complicit in uh, abuse continuing and the perpetrators never being brought to any sort of justice and um this was you know that was clearly something that a lot of people in places like ireland knew yeah. Um, but in but in the U.S., you know, this was pre, you know, the Boston Globe's big reporting that came mm-hmm. out, you know, that spotlight memorialized. Right. Great movie. Um, but so obvi- like it all that stuff that would happen, you know, around a decade later, completely vindicated um, what Sinead said and did. But like in terms of her career, um, you know, which, to be clear, was still very successful such a brilliant artist but like her being you know a like huge pop star which she was at the time coming off of like nothing compares to you you, yeah right um that that was the end of that like her being a a mainstream huge pop star that one moment and um shout out fucking props to her for using that platform though man props to her for using that platform and i'm thinking you know we'll talk about a few things but i remember and i'm so glad I love when I go to a show and I don't know what's going to happen because at the have heart reunions, Mm -hmm. um, they came out 
yep. to that spoken word version mm-hmm. that of you know I think the that recording of um of Sinead doing Bob Marley's war um and like chills you know what I mean like I yeah. I, I was lucky enough to go uh to both of the shows in Worcester and just literally when I realized what it was that they were playing as the intro I was just like fuck this is perfect in every way and like a perfect tribute um to like fucking courage which is yeah. what Sinead's life was all about right courage and truth and I mean the the thing that I and you we we both figure out we wanted to talk about, which I want to talk about this whole concert. Yeah. At a certain point, like when we're maybe done with Steve doing a and a whole episode talking about the Bob Dylan 30th anniversary at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. For her to go out after doing that in front of that crowd. Yep. And own that hate. Yeah. It was coming her way mm-hmm. and even just attempt to have her voice be heard more yeah is incredibly brave and fuck dude that the footage of her like crying mm-hmm. after that shit is devastating it's truly devastating like there were i mean you know for and if you if you don't know what we're talking about um just a, it was just a few weeks, right after the Saturday yeah. Night Live appearance, she was appearing with a ton of other people at the Bob Dylan uh, 30th anniversary show, and got booed violently by, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the crowd, based a on what you can hear. People, yeah, 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 like a like a full arena. Um, and shout out to Sinead again, showing remarkable courage there. Also shout out to Chris Christopherson, um, who could have stood by, but didn't. He backed Sinead up. He said the the quote that everybody always remembers and that he said to her directly is, don't let the bastards get you down. Um, what a fucking G, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like that's and that's how you want to fucking show up, um, you know, on the side of the person who took the bold statement and and spoke the truth, not standing by while a mob of either, you know, fucking idiots or people who just didn't understand what they were doing at the time, which was Um, most likely. Yeah, for sure. Um, It it, it is, it's hard to imagine like too. I mean, if somebody ripped up a picture of the Pope today, there would be still be some sort of backlash, but that backlash would pretty much just come, I think, from hardcore Catholics. I think yeah. in like the popular culture, people would be like, huh. Or, you know, some people might be like, well, I don't like that she did that, but whatever. And mm-hmm. then it, it wasn't that way. There were people that had no fucking stake in this game whatsoever, nope. like at all that demonized her um, because they just considered that like, you know, just the ultimate blasphemy Blasphemy. or disrespect or whatever um and again coming from a person who knew um that the that the that the church was deeply involved in sexually abusing children and covering it up and who had experienced abuse herself at the hands of nuns um you know when, when she was for for part of her youth 
living in one of those homes in Ireland um, and some of the stories of just horrific things that she endured. And it just seems like, fuck, man, every other month, like it, it's almost the horrors that come out that the church has perpetrated, not just historically, mm-hmm. um, but even, you know, in much more recent history, like it, there's just so much blood on their hands that it hardly makes a dent in popular culture anymore. Like remember it was just last oh, yeah. year that all the new, you know, they're finding the bodies of indigenous children yeah. that, you know, were just had disappeared that were in boarding schools, Catholic boarding schools throughout Canada and the United States. And, you know, a few people took some action um, and vandalized churches to, to in, in protest. And the story became about, the vandalism it, yeah the vandalism mm-hmm. and not about thousands of dead children um and just so it's just like whoa um and again i say this as like you know and i say this as a, a descendant of irish catholics that keeps my grandmother's rosary not as a religious symbol but as a like Memento. remembrance of her right <laughs> like it, it reminds me of her and her devotion uh to, to the church was part of her life. Um, so it's a, it's a complicated thing, but like, fuck. And it, it, again, it's just like Sinead was totally vindicated, was totally right about all of this, but never got the apologies and the due that she deserved. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, uh, that's what happens to people on the right side of history. <laughs> exactly. That's what happens to people on the right side of history, man. And I'll say this too. One last thing, you know, she's known for, for, she had hits. There are a lot of things, but if, if you have never heard um, the version of the Foggy Dew that she did with the Chieftains, um, you know, Irish traditional group that, you know, we've got connections here. Chieftains did stuff with the Pogues. Pogues did stuff mm-hmm. with Steve, you know, so like it, it's all one big family tree here, but uh our buddy and uh recent guest on the pod tom sheehan and i were talking yesterday after the news came out of sinead passing and um he sent me a a clip one of the best clips of sinead and the chieftains doing the foggy do live and was just like dude harder than any hardcore song and i was like yes it's a it's an irish rebel song um about the the Easter Rebellion of 1916, and her That's voice sick. her voice is just beautiful and haunting, right? In the way that it that it often was. Um, so I'm downloading in, this shit right now to listen to. Yeah, man, you're you're gonna really dig it. Um, so yeah, a lot to check out there. And we just before we got in, um, by the way, we're gonna be talking about transcendental blues today. You probably oh, yeah. saw that from the title before you kicked on, but thought it would only be the right thing for us to do to spend a few minutes um, at the top of the pod, paying tribute to Sinead O'Connor. So rest in peace, Sinead. Absolutely. My brother. Well, well Brian, how you been? Man. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm living and I'm healthy and that those are things to be grateful for. Uh, I really don't like my new job. Um, and really I'm in the middle of potty training my guy who who has like a good day 
and then has another day where it's like, fuck this. I'm not going to the potty. Clean my shit up. Should <laughs> we so, be discussing this on a podcast? I don't know, man. No, I would actually love if my boss heard this. Listen. Oh, I mean, um, I mean, will, will, will oh, little about, man be upset in six years when he finds out he'll, this might exist? Bro, he'll more than get his revenge, I'm sure, on me. Yeah. And so I've got so true, much true, coming. True. Anyway, yeah. though, I mean, he is. You got to get it in while you got an opportunity yeah. to. Yeah, he's the absolute best. We're probably also, to be fair to him, doing it a little early. Um, but like, you know, his doctor was like, can he tell you when he needs to go? And we we're like, yeah. And she goes, well, you better take advantage of that. This is your window to start. And I'm like, okay. Um, And it's better to do like in the summer when it's warm out, frankly, because it's kind of like, yeah, more comfortable. And I can just have him like chilling in his underwear in the house, you know, rather than Oh, I meant when it's more uncomfortable for him to do that on himself. Oh, true. That's I didn't even think about that. That's a good (laughs) point. But anyway, man. Yeah, I I won't air my son's personal business here anymore but like it's just (laughs) yo i think it's it's summertime which is like my favorite time of year but it's a little too hot lately oh yeah i mean everywhere yeah no (laughs) the combination of the nino and uh you know what all of us as humans have done to the planet is making it pretty unbearable for for most of the world right now or at least in the northern hemisphere and uh yeah i'm just I'm grateful to fucking have a job that, you know, pays the bills and allows me to support my son. But yeah, it's been, hasn't been much fun. Um, So, you know, I'm giving it some time, but hasn't been the best. And I haven't been to, I've got some killer shows coming up pretty soon, but I'm also in that time of the year since I became a parent where it's like, you know, there's like killer fests every other weekend Mm -hmm. and I'm, haven't gone to any of them. Um, mm-hmm. I'll get back on that horse soon once my kid's a little older. But, um, you know, so I've, I've felt like a little bit of a bystander lately, which is not typically, um, That's not you know, fun. it's not we yeah, and it's not what I want to be. But I also mm-hmm. just got to be honest about where I'm at in my life at this moment. Right. So no, um, I feel you. I would love to be in California this weekend, but absolutely. I can't afford that. Yeah. Too yeah. expensive. Yeah. It's too expensive to try to do solo and uh, be um, reliant on other people to get me places because fuck, I, I just can't do that shit. I hear you, man. Can't call an Uber on my fucking flip phone, my guy. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even think about that, man. You, you're you're cut off, cut off from so many of the 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 modern luxuries that so many of us take advantage of. Or burdens, whatever you, either it's bo- burden, oh, luxury, dude. whatever you want to call Total it. Total double-edged sword. <laughs> it is both. It is both, absolutely. Um, um, but how you been, man? Um, I've been all right. Uh, I've I've had a birthday since we talked last. Oh, fuck it. Dude, I didn't know when your birthday is. Happy birthday. I've been to four shows and I've been to three movies. Dude, you're living, man. Dude, I've been way too busy. <laughs> can I tell though, this is, I can like hear my wife's voice right now she'd be like that this is the most typical like dude friendship someone that you know and love very deeply spend hours talking to and and don't know the birthday don't know the birthday Mm -hmm. yeah how old are you now tyler i'm i'm 35 years old i'm now as old as my dad was when i was born wow which means i know how old my dad is for sure right (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> don't even have to do math. That's amazing. I've, I've double all... my age, and there's there's his age. There you go, dude. But nice. it is a bit existential, I feel like, right now. Yeah. You're also, you know, at the end of what market researchers call young adulthood. To be honest, clearly, Tyler, you were never really part of that demographic. Um, but, you know, welcome to like, you know, nobody. Midlife. Right. Welcome to midlife. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. You, I mean, all the things that are true, most of shit hasn't changed. I mean, yeah, yeah, like, dude, I'm, you know, I hit 40. I'm still a hardcore kid, still straight edge, whatever. That shit's never changing. Um, but the thing that people have said that is definitely true is you stop caring about a lot of shit that doesn't matter as much. And that's been the, I mean, and you know, I think you and I have done a pretty good job of cultivating that for a while, but it just gets a lot easier. I would easier. love to care about less shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I have a small number of things that I care about intensely. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of other things that I'm like, fuck, man. All right. And then just <laughs> go on with my day. And it it definitely um, has has made life a lot more peaceful. I, I, I like getting older. Um, I mean, clearly, it's a fucking gift, you know, man. But so happy belated. Thank Tell you, us brother. shows, you know, any any bands you want to shout out? Anything? Uh, I went horrible? to Nashville to see a conservative military image. And How was that? It was a very cool show where I got to sing along and it seemed a bunch of other people came to do the same thing. And that was very cool. It was very neat to be like covered in beer and sweat with a bunch of skinheads mm -hmm. and uh, punks and metal guys. And um, it was fun. It was, it was a fun gig. Um, Love that. And then... Glitterer played here the other day and they all stayed with me, which was the first band we've had stay with us since we moved into our house. Nice. Wait, um, so I haven't been keeping up. Glitterer is more than just Ned? Yeah, it's full band now. Full band now? Okay. Mm -hmm. Did not know um, that. That's awesome. Which they were, had four people, which we figured out that's exactly how many people we can house in our, in our <laughs> <place>. <laughs> comfortably. <laughs> so lucky for them. Um, nice. But it did mean me and Ashton had to rush home and make the house presentable, which meant that I had to shovel a bunch of things into our office just to get it out of the living room. Is that and is the office where you are right now? That's right. Now, right that's now. right. Dude, but that's some serious adult shit, though. Like mm -hmm. being like, hey, band is staying with us. We need to clean up and make it presentable. Versus yeah, but like we were like we were like running around we were sweating we were both sweating with how how hard we were working to make this house presentable in 40 well, minutes but i'm that is a that is a <laughs> testament though to like your character and just how much you y'all care about you know you know what it's like to be on the road and wanted oh, yeah. them to have like a nice place or whatever because i'm sure both of us have stated a lot of places mm -hmm. where clearly no thought was put into I've aborted staying at places. <laughs> yeah. It was not gonna be good. But dude, that's you talking about it. That is another thing that has changed as I've aged. My tolerance for like, you know, discomfort. Teens and early 20s, it was like, mm -hmm. I will stay in the hottest, dirtiest, whatever. And then it got to a point where it was like, bro, no, we're not staying here. Like, not my worth thing it. is if I get itchy, I'm moving. That's it. Yeah. 
no not worth it i'm not gonna tolerate itching why am i I itching i'm not staying long enough to find out but even if it means sleeping outside i'm not Mm -hmm. gonna be somewhere itching absolutely i've slept sitting up in a van because uh i was not gonna stay in a place that was maybe gonna kill me yeah Um, no way but yeah but that was that was cool it was fun having uh having guests at our house um in dead heat and uh and Rob Brigade played here the other night, which was cool. Shout out. Um, but man, the best thing I've done recently, Barbie. I've heard nothing but good things. Dude, it's so good. <laughs> we it's so go. good. We also saw uh we also saw the new Mission Impossible. Uh on my birthday, we did a double feature. We went and saw a matinee, The Sound of Freedom. <laughs> oh shit, is that the Oh yeah. About, about child oh, traffic. Yeah. Yes, it's that movie. Dude. It's really bad. So this you chose though. You wanted to go see this. I had to see yeah. it, dude. Yeah. I had to see it. There's a point in the movie where he says never trust a pedophile, which only insinuates that he is a pedophile. <laughs> what a never trust a pedophile. And it's like said in like a hard action movie type of way. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It's pretty good. It's uh it's a really bad movie, but it's highly entertaining. Um I uh I think I'm obsessed with Jim Caviezel. Um Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um did you know he got struck by lightning while playing Jesus Christ? No, but that explains a lot. He was struck by lightning during a scene in The Passion of the Christ. And of all the things to not take one step back and go, should we be doing this? Oh, I'm sure they took it as the exact opposite. Like I would think of if I was doing anything, if I was picking my nose and I was struck by lightning, I would never pick my nose again. No, I would bro. take it as a sign. Yo, I should never do that because you are a, a thinking person they take anything that happens as a sign that validates what they are doing so either it was a test from god or a challenge from satan but either way they're doing the right thing they did but yeah. uh but yeah sound of freedom uh we saw the worst movie i'll see all year and then went and saw what i thought was going to be like the polar opposite of that which i mean mission impossible is very good mm-hmm. but barbie is barbie's something else man Shout out Barbie. Gotta see it. I mean, I gotta see I know and I want to see Oppenheimer too. Cried four times. Yo, you are the third person now that has told me about crying during Barbie. Um, I cried during one scene that was just like it was just good. It was just a good feeling, and I was crying. Brilliant. Margot so, Robbie's a force, dude. Next week, yes, she is. Next week is our anniversary, and we're planning date night. And I think we're gonna go see Barbie. So, dude, highly recommend. We're gonna go see Oppenheimer on Sunday, but uh, I'm glad we saw Barbie first. Hell yeah, I'm glad we saw Barbie first. It felt more important, honestly. Having now like consumed it, I'm like, right. And that's the other thing too. And Oppenheimer, as as important as it might be, you know what's gonna happen. Oh, yeah. Because it's based on They're going to build that bomb. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then they're going to go, oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, it, anytime Oppenheimer comes up or just, you know, how how World War II ended, 
I just have so much more respect for one of the best teachers I ever had. Uh, and he stands out because I had so many shitty teachers, like many mm -hmm. of us who, you know, have attended American public schools uh, did, um, did slash do. But when you get an amazing one, it is just, and I remember he had us like research and debate and do like a mock trial on whether or not it was like moral or justified Dude. to to use the bomb right and and it actually like you know it was good because it really like pushed me into that thinking of the the the, the simultaneous like on the one hand how could a weapon this destructive that killed so many innocent people so quickly ever be justified and then on the other hand the many sound arguments that say like if the war had continued more people would have died and like you know and there's no like obviously i would prefer a world where nuclear weapons never fucking existed but it's it's fucking complicated and like that's that's a good teacher like he wasn't te you know like he was making us like wrestle with things and like make yeah. arguments and shit like that so i've heard in the movie they really address that we're winning we probably don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. And when we realize it's kind of over in Europe, mm -hmm. but they are going forward with it. Yeah. It, the, that's when like the real strife begins in the movie of like, Oh, sure. Fuck. I've kind of pushed this boulder down this hill. Yeah. Now there's no there's stopping no it. Stopping this shit. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna end in, in a calamity, which yeah. is, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to watch that. Yeah, I'm excited to see it too. Like, um, fuck. And have you heard of the, I don't, this might be portrayed in the movie. We're not spoiling anything because neither of us have seen it. But, you know, later when Oppenheimer goes to Harry Truman's office and talks about like, I've just got blood on my hands. And he's basically like, you know, pleading with him to like promise that he'll never use this weapon again or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and dealing with all that. After he left, Truman tells his like chief of staff, like, you know, never bring that spineless bastard in here again. I've like, never basically. heard that story before. Yeah, fuck it's Harry like, Truman. Dude. Yeah, fuck, fuck Harry Truman. But like <laughs> for many reasons. But like, yeah, you know, his reaction was like, yeah, you're a coward, whatever, because you're, you know, dealing with the reckoning that you did work that resulted in the, you know, deaths of hundreds of thousands of innocent people um, muscular capitalism dude it's great yeah um bro let's talk about transcendental blues let's do this man i uh i've come around on this record in a way so you does that imply that you weren't around on it originally this was a bottom three for me bottom three interesting i think it's, it's always been it's, somewhere in the middle for me it's moved honest. itself out of the bottom three Hmm. Well, we know from experience that you tend to just with more exposure, like things <laughs> like more. things more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it seems like this is no different, huh? Yeah, I think, well, El Corazon is still bottom three for me. Okay. It stays there. There's nothing to it. There's not more there for me to, especially after the the exercise of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I didn't find more there to 
like any of my top five more or like guitar town or like more than guitar town or copperhead road or any of those but uh this i realized when after listening to it so many times i was like i i found more here right than on. i would then i think about but uh but, but yeah um but i do have a bunch of stuff from the book yeah on let's this start. guy if you do you want to start with book stuff or do you want to start with your feelings on it i mean yeah my feelings are are, are pretty quick so yeah, this is a record that I think has always been somewhere in the middle for me. It, it definitely isn't top five. Uh, it's definitely not something that I reach for very often of the Steve material that I'm mm-hmm. familiar with. And I think after going through the exercise of giving you know several thorough listens here, there are songs that I appreciate more than I used to, but I think it's going to be a true time will tell thing. Like, am I going to find myself reaching for it again? Mm-hmm. Um, or are there just going to be like a, a couple of a couple songs? Yeah. yeah. I think um, I'm there too. Mm-hmm. I think I'm there too, but I do think this is a record that I don't have a skipper on anymore. Interesting. And I think at times I did have a skipper on this record or two. I've got two. I've got two skippers. Um, But yeah, you want to hear what Steve thought about transcendental blues? I would love to hear that. So this is uh, an interview with him. Uh, this was years later. Um, I want to, I can't remember. I think this was after, uh, possibly after Jerusalem came out. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's asking him what his mindset was going into the making of Transcendental Blues. Because I guess maybe he just hadn't really been asked about this record enough to mm-hmm. for anybody. Because I guess some people were confused by this record in a way. Which coming out of course El Cor- or coming out of El Corazon and the mountain, I can the mountain. I guess see that. Yeah. But if you take into account I don't know, everything, I feel like this record makes perfect sense. What do you mean everything? Like the entirety of the universe or No, like I think <laughs> I think El Corazon and the Mountain, like this is a logical follow up to those. I could see that it's almost like I learned a bunch of stuff and now I can deploy it at will. Yeah. Right? Cause like there's a bluegrass song on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, there's rock and you know, like it, it's, it's not a themed record um, in the way that like he's showcasing a lot more yeah. different. It's styles, not, it's right? not the mountain. It's not right. the mountain. And it's yeah. not a records he'll do later, which are very much themed. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so he says, uh, some of the songs were written by the time I started touring with the mountain and some more and some more were over the course of the tour. So I knew where, I, where it was going. I knew it was going, or I knew, ugh, I knew it was going to be what I considered to be essentially a rock record. But for me being a songwriter that covers a lot of ground, most bluegrass records don't sound like the mountain does. So I think there's a case for the mountain being a rock record too. I knew that I wanted to be pretty expensive because my records generally are but I really wanted to make a record that was big enough and covered enough ground that it wouldn't feel like I had to make another record in 12 months. I've done that for five years and I think I wanted a little break between this record and the next one. It won't be as long as a lot of artists take for me, but it won't be 12 months either. Right on. And I think I, I think I hear that in this where he just, um, I don't know. I, I think I can hear where he 
doesn't have that. I feel like one part of the reason why this was was in my bottom three and isn't anymore is mostly because of things I've learned of, of this record that tr- changed my mind on some songs. But I think it just doesn't have the edge that other mm. records have, which is what I look for him for. I don't think there's an edge on this record. I think that's a really good way to explain it because I think this record has a lot of good songs, but I did not have stop me in my fucking tracks moments the way I have with, with so many others. Um, And I think it's also telling that this is a, this is a record that I had and was like, you know, basically familiar with. Um, but when I started listening for the pod, like on some of the other stuff, it'd be like, oh, this is coming back to me now. Even mm-hmm. if I hadn't listened to it in a while, a lot of this was like, I had no memory of it at all. Even though really? I know, even though I know that like, I remember fucking van rides with, mm-hmm. with half figure gun room, listening to this or, or shit like that. Um, so I, I, you're having an edge, um, I think that's a pretty apt descriptor when I think about it overall, um, even with some of the songs that I do really like. Yeah. And I think that's what Rees really put this record in bottom three for me originally is I made the I made that top five bottom three list by just looking at track lists, mm-hmm. not actually listening to the records, but just going through and being like, oh, that's a hit. That's a hit. That's a hit. That's a hit. Or like, oh, that song is like changed the way I think about this or that song like really made me feel made me feel smart for already knowing this or like yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. like different things like that or like that's like this record really feeds into my like personal feelings and whatnot and when looking at like the track list for El Corazon and the track list for Transcendental Blues and um I'm trying to think and the track list for a record we haven't l- listened to yet for this podcast which mm-hmm. I won't reveal <laughs> at the moment is in my bottom three um but you'll be fucking thrilled to hear that it is. Um, <laughs> I uh, I think I just like looking at these tracks, I was like, oh, this one doesn't move me as much. And then just was like, yep, this is definitely bottom three. And then now I, having been moved by this record, I think it's it's now pushed one that we haven't talked about again yet. But I'm also still basing this off of just looking at that track list and going, well, mm. now that I know Transcendental Blues means more than me. I think this one's pushed into the bottom three because it would have been on that edge. Right on the edge, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This this record has definitely like, it's got a hit on it. A one hit. Of his biggest hits. Yep. And um, I think that song deserves to be that. But it does, it always is peculiar to me looking at like his like Spotify standings and seeing this record in the most popular albums and going god really like but it's got to be just from that one song that song i'm not sure if on any of the other records i mean again just going from one metric Mm -hmm. being spotify streams like i can't recall seeing this big of a gap between one song and like the average on the rest of the record Mm -hmm. i mean we're talking so other than like we'll we'll talk about it when we get to it but like yeah. we're talking 37 million versus like 
100,000, 200,000 on a lot of the yeah. other tracks, you know, dwarfs them, right? So clearly that's been the song with staying power. Yeah, so um, that's just, I don't know, it's just so crazy to me because there are just, I feel like so many more records that like hit me personally so hard and so many, but I guess they're like, I mean, to me, this there's songs that like fucking the unrepentant should be <laughs> one of the biggest fucking Steve Earl songs. <laughs> period and like full stop that song is hard as shit but um i don't know but uh on uh on the subject of hard shit though there is uh one thing i wanted to get into before we uh we talk about um before we get into the songs there's a a question in this interview about drugs and about his approach to music um having kicked his drug habit which i feel Mm -hmm. like is enlightening he says uh He's asked, how is kicking your drug habit affect your approach to music? Steve says, well, I don't have to wake up in the morning and have $500 worth of dope before I do anything. So I feel like I have a lot more time and a lot more energy. And I think I'm writing better than I ever have. Does it change your point of view at all because it made it easier to write? I don't think I ever bought the idea that dope enhances creativity. I don't. I didn't take dope to be more creative. I took dope to stop hurting. The mistake I was making was not realizing that everybody fucking hurts and you're supposed to hurt sometimes. And also it was sort of short-sighted. If you stop hurting altogether, you don't have a fucking you don't have anything to fucking write about. I made the same generic mistake that all addicts make and all that bad stuff that happens to addicts eventually happened to me. Damn. Dude, thank you for sharing that. I feel that, dude. I feel that hardcore or him just i didn't fucking take drugs to be more creative i took them to stop hurting but then to realize like if you don't hurt you don't have anything you're not you're not living that is a vital part of the human experience it is yeah it is like i've i've written a lyric so similar to that before and that and i don't know just like reading that like really uh I don't know. It really, really spoke to me and being straight edge. Dude, a hundred percent. And like, we're, it's interesting too. Like we're at a point now where Steve's Steve's long enough into his sobriety and his quote comeback, right. That he's comfortable Yeah. now. You know what I mean? Like he's, I, I, and I can just imagine, I don't know. Obviously, I'll never know what it's like to be in his skin, but like you're not as a few years sober, you're not as worried about the constant threat of relapse. Like, you know, oh, mm-hmm. I had a I had a bad day. Am I gonna use again? Or like, you know, shit like that. And you you're back. Like he's people settling into life settled, without drugs. Right. He's settled into life without drugs. He's realized that like I can still be can still do the things I wanted to be a fucking musician, be a songwriter, Mm -hmm. be on the road and stuff like that and be sober. And so, but that's like, so fucking insightful, man. Like, no, truly. Yeah. I love Um, it. And there is a forward in this record. I can't remember how long it is. It's not long at all. Um, Let's, Let's hear it then. And then we'll get into the tracks. Yes. So, um, the forward for Transcendental Blues, which God, dude, the fucking the artwork and layout on this record is awesome too. It's so good. 
yeah it's really cool there's a bunch of cool photos in here too of them like recording and shit um but steve says i've spent most of my life like most people avoiding transcendence at all costs mainly because shit hurts merely defining transcendence can sometimes be painful i once heard that transcendence is the act of going through something ouch i see plate glass windows and divorces Someone else told me that it was rising above whatever one encountered in one's path. But at that point in my life, that smacks of avoidance as well as elitism of some sort. I'm compelled to look back on years of going through above as well as around my life, looking for loopholes to redefine everything, including any and all the ideas that I've held close to my heart along the way. Art, freedom, justice, revolution, love, a big one, growth, passion, parenting, a really big one. And I find that for me, for now, transcendence is about still is about being still enough, long enough to know when it's time to move on. Fuck me. Steve Rowe, January 2000. Dude, that's awesome. It's so good. Yeah, it's a, that one's a good one. Well, and there's another thing, too. Like, I don't think it's making me realize, like, I haven't given enough thought to the title and the the you know, title track that, that we'll talk about in a second. Just just the, the contrast of transcendence always presented as a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, meditation, enlightenment, rising above it all. But like the, you know, Steve's implication that it's like, fuck, man, this is hard and scary. Um, or being like, oh, I'm fucking better than everything else. One thousand percent. You know, it's the it's the the friend that wants to make sure everybody knows that he meditates every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one of those, and this is my test to see if he listens because I don't think he does. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but um, and I love him anyway. But yeah, it's a that's a thing, man. That's a thing. And um, Steve's. Steve's just got enough of that fucking realness and self-awareness in him that, you know, even as he knows how important it is to keep learning, growing and improving oneself, you've also got to remember like, don't be a fucking asshole. Don't be an asshole and don't act like you're not still down here with the fucking rest of us dealing mm-hmm. with, with the same shit every day. Right. Um, well, I think that's a good segue then, man, into the the title track, Transcendental Blues. Yep. I got a thing on this record, man, where uh, I've noted this a few times in my notes. Some of the best lyrics on this record come in songs I don't really care for that much. Um, I think it's interesting. The song uses some like new sounds for Steve. The guitars are like there's really fuzzy electric guitar, mm-hmm. on it, um, which is not something he normally did. But I love like the I candles- like a lot of the fuzz on this record, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's cool, but like the line, candles on the altar, penny in your shoe, walk upon the water, transcendental blues. I love that line. Mm-hmm. And it's a contrast for me because this song I think is cool, but it doesn't really grip me musically. You see, I so when I said like the reason I put this in my bottom three was just looking at track listing. Mm-hmm. Like looking at this track listing and looking at Transcendental Blues, I think like mm, it's fine. But when I'm listening to this song, I really like it. I really like this song when I'm listening to it. When I think about it, 
I think I don't care about it. When I'm listening to it, I really like it. And I really, I think it's one of his best like chill songs. And I wrote, yeah. this is one of his best chill songs. No cap. I was being funny when I wrote that. I think. Oh, is that what that was? That was, I wrote, I, I wrote that. I think that was <laughs> me. I, I, I can't remember when I wrote that, but I'm realizing that I, I forget that I write very stupid sometimes and I'll throw very stupid words into these things. Um, but uh, yeah, that was what I wrote about it. Straight um, bussin'. Um, straight bussin'. Um, oh, I do want to say one thing. This song, for people listening to this podcast who are TV addicts like me, it's in The Bear. It's in the new season of The Bear. Oh, it is. it is. I haven't watched the new season. Second I, season, first episode. It's at the end. Fuck yeah. I, I wrote, I wrote, I wigged out. That rules. <laughs> I mean, who the, the people doing the music for that show are fucking awesome because I was they're using strange currencies by REM. Um they uh they talk about um fucking uh um the replacements in an episode rules. and they use the replacements twice in that episode too. Dude, that's awesome. It's great. I, Maddie Matheson talks about the replacements in in, in an episode. It's fucking cool as shit. shit this it's like cool to see a show that was like made for us. It <laughs> really is very it really that, is. that happened to you know to be like extremely popular all over, but clearly no, like yeah. I was freaking out too because like at the end of that episode, like the harmoniums just like going under the under the surface. Yeah. And I was like, like my head was like kind of starting to turn while I was watching, and then like the drum kick in, and I fucking I just jumped in my seat and Ashton was like, What's going on? I was like Steve Earl's song right now, like a, like a, like a deep cut. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pulling up track, pulling a track off Transcendental Blues that's not Galway Girl. Yeah, counts as a deep cut. Yeah, anywhere. I was um, freaking out. Is so rules. cool. It's shout awesome. out, shout out the Bear. What a legit, great show. We're definitely we loved the first season and are are definitely going to watch this one. Um, it's magic, dude. I mean, and I can one of the few things that I keep up with. I've mentioned this on the pod before. Is um, you know, anybody that's corresponded with me through the Hardcore Troubadour Instagram knows that I typically take like a week to respond to you, but I will. Mm -hmm. um, I always do, even if it's slow. And um, of the handful of accounts that I follow that are not people who follow the pod, I uh, I just basically creep on Michael Stipe from REM. So I knew about their collaboration with the bear um, and just loved like Strange Currencies is a band that again, like it's a band that has such a vast and awesome catalog that like mm -hmm. it just often gets overlooked. People think about Monster and they think about what's the frequency Kenneth, mm -hmm. um, which is also like a great song, but I think like that's a track that is just beautiful. And so I'm glad to see it getting the love and then also, you know, just feeling incredibly old when I be like, when I'm like, I remember Monster was one of the first cds i bought after we got a cd player at my house and that record is 29 years old <laughs> like you know to be i was old yeah. enough i was old enough to be like i have some I can money get a cd now yeah i yeah. have some money to i have enough to buy like three cds this is one of the cds i want to buy and it had just come out you know so um, and because I can get a CD now, because we have a CD player. That's now. right. And we when that was still, this wasn't already in the house when I was born. Wasn't already in the house, and like so many other things, 
they were fucking expensive back oh, yeah. then. Like it was a big deal. And it was, it was really only a few years later that, you know, you could buy a disc man for 20 bucks. You know what yeah. I mean? But it was like such a big deal to get a CD player and to be like, wait, we can just skip around to all the tracks we want and not just have to like constantly fast forward and rewind the tape and things like that. And like, ruin it. And ruin it, which, you know, I didn't know I was doing, but that's mm -hmm. what I was doing. Um, anyway, fuck yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked now knowing that they use Transcendental Blues on the bear. Dude, it's awesome. It's so cool. That rules. So um, are you, are you out on this song then? Or are you just kind of, so I'm not, I'm so, no, I'm not out on it. Okay. It's good, but okay. Uh, it doesn't I think it's a good chill song that's uh, he he I, his chill I, songs like this can usually lose me and i really appreciate you mentioning this as a chill song too because like many of steve's like acoustic songs are not chill no. like they might they might be quiet mm -hmm. but they're intense you yeah, know what i mean either dark or hard or sad right right <laughs> and it's like no this is like actually chill yeah. Um, it can have fuzzy guitars and still be chill, you know, mm -hmm. right on. Um, the next track is everyone's in love with you. Um, I wrote, this could have been a Tom Petty song. Um, Yo, I can see that. Yeah. And I'll talk more about Tom Petty later. Oh, um, I, one of them's on here. Yeah, exactly. Well, I had a moment. I love that. I identified it before I looked up who was playing. Really? I'll say That's that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I know yeah. I know one of one heartbreaker for sure that was on on this record, but I'm not yep. maybe maybe there's more. Yeah. Um we'll get to but, it in a few uh, songs. Yeah, everyone's in love with you, man. I, I love the riff on this track. Um yeah. I fucking love the riff on this track. Um I think the transition into it, like it rocks. Like I don't know. I, I like the transition from Transcendental Blues into Everyone's in Love with You. Like, I, I think agree. that is, is it just it rips. Um, uh, so if I had to pick a second favorite song on this record, it's this one. Interesting. I fucking love this song. Makes um, me curious what your first favorite is. And dude, I... the pause in this song. Yeah. And then it, when it kicks back in, fuck, dude, this this song rocks. And it's so like. It doesn't like reading the lyrics to it, even just like reading the song title for it. You do not think this song is going to rock. No, it's a, I agree. It's a rocker. And that's what makes me think of Tom Petty, right? Like yeah. I could totally hear him doing mm -hmm. this song. It's just yeah. like a good ass rocker. Um, In the book, it says that this song is the bastard offspring of Beatles. Tomorrow never knows. Um, And I wrote, I don't hear that at all. Cause this song rocks and that Beatles song fucking sucked. <laughs> and I, dude, I was about to say, I don't remember that as one of the Beatles songs I like. No, I, I, I fucking bless. Yeah. There, I, I referenced some Beatles later on on a, a few tracks from now. Also not in a positive way, but so, yeah, I don't, I don't see that association either. But yeah, this one is, can I, this is a canonical Steve Earl song for me. This goes on the playlist. I could see that if I wanted to pick a couple. I could probably pick three songs off this record that I'd make sure get on the playlist. I I um, I do have I, my my road trip playlist has three songs from this record. <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, let's 
let's move on to another town. Um, let's move on to another town. Yeah. I He's going to do that too. He is. Well, I wrote, there's a good <laughs> contrast here because I wrote another classic Steve Earle. I'm going on down the road and getting the fuck out of here songs. It's a yep. theme in a mm-hmm. lot of places, oh, yeah. which he does so well. What I wrote, what I wrote here is like, I did not remember him doing so much Dylan on this record. Like, you know, his he's doing some different stuff with his voice. Oh yeah. Than, than he's done at any point mm-hmm. before. And it's not my favorite. Um, really? I think on certain tracks it works pretty well. And this is not one where I really like it, but a shout out to the melodic and tasteful guitar solo on this song. I think it is a fine song. Yeah, I like this song. I I think it's a I, I wrote I think it's a straight up rocker track. And uh one thing I wrote is I forget how upbeat this record starts out. It really does. Yeah. Like it's very upbeat. Um and uh I I wrote also for this song in particular, this is where I'm really appreciating the sound of all the instruments on this record and realizing like how full and big and probably how much money he spent to record this record for it to sound this big it's a great sounding record it does sound huge like even in the quiet moments it sounds big and and clear which i love there is a question about this song on in that interview Mm -hmm. um and the guy says uh i think another town did a good job of summing up the complexities of what you're going through um and this is a going through um i guess some of uh Oh yeah, because he, he was he was realizing like a lot of that era, or like before that era, he like looks back on that and was like, "Oh God, I was like in a pretty toxic place whenever I wrote that." Mm. And um, he wrote another town is weird because I actually didn't write it for me. I was giving voice to another person who was a friend of mine at the time, and is my girlfriend now. You don't always write from your own standpoint. Sometimes you lend your voice to somebody else. And that was what I was doing on that particular song, which I think is interesting to think that we think of this song as like classic Steve. Yeah. He was actually kind of writing this for somebody else. I would have never guessed that. I know, right? Me either. Um, But also that means um, I think this is another soon to be wife he's talking about right here, Mm. which... We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> he loves commitment. Um, He's not afraid of commitment. Not afraid of commitment. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> That's such a good quote, man. Fucking brilliant, dude. Um, That's fascinating. So, All right. I can't wait. I can wait. There's definite Beatles in the chorus here um, for me. Later era psychedelic Beatles. I don't like it, but I respect him continuing to try new things at this point in his career while still being himself. That's what I wrote about that song. I think this this song's kind of pretty. Um, I think this the chorus. I think the chorus is catchy. I could see that. This is one of my skippers. Um, this is one of your skippers. Yeah. Um, I just don't. I don't need it. One thing I did write about this song is the blues finally shows up on the record. Hmm. And yeah, that is funny. Because we've been upbeat. All it's up transcendental blues, and up until now, there's been no blues. No blues. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this song's fine. I had three lines on it. Just the the blues finally shows up. I think the chorus is catchy as hell. And I think the song's beautiful. But again, it ain't making the playlist. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. But I'm not going to skip it either. But, you know. I'm skipping it. And I'm skipping the next one. The Boy Who Never Cried. This, for me, is the marquee example on this record of I like the lyrics a lot, but I really don't like this song. Um, It's a beautiful poem. Like, he lived alone for all his years, and then on the day he died, he shed a single precious tear for a boy who never cried. Um, But it, the music does nothing for me, so I've got to skip it. So, in November 30, 2000, issue of Magnet, Steve told writer Robert Baird, of his finding that transcendental blues was a puzzlement to many of his fans. I think there's a perception by some people that these songs aren't as well written as songs I've written in the past, simply because they tend to be more emotion driven and relationship driven and less narrative. But the truth is that these, the songs in this record were harder for me to write. And I think harder for anybody to write. Well, my favorite song on transcendental blues and it might be the song I'm pr- I'm proudest of as a writer in my entire career is The Boy Who Never Cried. Oh, Steve. Isn't that fucking insane? I'm so sorry to let you down, bud. This is not the Isn't part. that fucking insane? <laughs> I mean, that's um, a, it is his right as an artist to 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 feel that way about what he has created, but I'm just not feeling that. I think this song is cool, but because of the pace, it makes it feel twice as long. Yeah. I can and see that's that. my issue with this song. Is it feels long Mm -hmm. it feels fucking long because it is long and it's so slow i mean interestingly enough like this record is long but it doesn't have a lot of long songs yeah you know what i mean like this is one of the few that breaks like three and a half minutes um but it's like a 46 minute record or something yeah 49 49 okay yeah, and it just because there's a lot of songs, um, even though most of them are coming in right around three or less. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's a it's a bit of a slog. Um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an absolute slog. I I don't skip it, but I certainly like when I'm listening to it. I'm like, I like the next song. <laughs> so I was about to say, Steve's last ramble. Is this your favorite song on the record? No, it's not. Is, is it one? Is this your guess? This was my guess. Would it make the playlist? Oh, uh, I let me check. I think it does. That's good. I think actually four songs in this record make the playlist. Okay. And you're not just throwing me a bone there because it was wrong. Um, I no, wrote the song is badass. I wrote now we're fucking back. And then I wrote, I love the contrast between it is on the playlist. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I love the contrast between this and another town. Cause I keep thinking like another town is the classic. I'm mm-hmm. getting the fuck out of here. And this one is, man, I'm tired of all this running around. I got to settle I'm gonna down. Stay. I'm going to say, you know, stay. like I'm that is, it is the constant, you know, like back and forth of those polar opposites. Like I got to keep moving. I got to settle down. Yeah. Um, I wrote, this is the antithesis to fearless heart and never satisfied. Yes, exactly. And, and it's, it's so funny that they're, they are polar opposites, but they're both like, totally steep and they're both places where i mean not both all these types of songs like because the it's one of those things like rambling versus settling down are um classic steve tropes are classic steve tropes and they're also like so closely related you can't you can't be itching to ramble 
if you've never been forced to stay in one place and you can't really want to settle down and stop being on the road and settle in one place if you haven't been on the fucking road all the time. Yep. You know? Um, so yeah. And this song's I, a heater. It's a heater. And then the other thing that I like too is this is like, you know, this has got country, it's got bluegrass, it's got Zydeco. Like I oh, think yeah. this is this is an example of like Steve did the mountain, Steve learned bluegrass, Steve, you know, did all that work with Del McCory and his band. And now this is like part of his arsenal, you know, like he can, he can deploy bluegrass style stuff at will now and not have to be like, I'm writing a bluegrass record. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Um, yeah. I think this is a classic girl track, man. I, I really, I really like this song. Um, I also, uh, this song is, I believe about uh, Sarah Sharp, which is wife number. I wrote wife number question mark. I meant to look it up. Didn't. <laughs> I think it's more. I think it's fine that I didn't look it up. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's who this song's about. And um, you know, his, good for her for making him feel like this. His last his last ramble for real this time. Mm. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah, a few things have gone down in the last twenty three years. Um, Just since yes. Yeah. Just a few. Up next is the hit. Um, this your the, favorite song? No, but I see why you would think that because I am a basic bitch and usually Brother, like the best. It is number. It is a close number two. I thought we were going to share today. This is your favorite. I can't get over this song, dude. I, it's I mean, so fucking good. No, no other song that I love on this record hits me the way this song does. It is a perfect Irish folk song. It is a perfect song to the point and a perfect Irish song to the point that I for a very long time assumed this was a was cover. cover? God, fuck him, dude. Yeah. Like I, I <laughs> long into long into knowing Steve Earle, knowing mm-hmm. this record and knowing that I had only heard this version of the song. I yeah. just had assumed, assumed this must another. be a, this, he had to have picked this up from somebody and did this cover it's so and he's just not popular. Good. And then finding out not, you know, a few years ago that was like, no, Steve Earl fucking wrote that song. Um, yeah. It is just uh, like, I'd always assume this must be a cover that says something about how fucking good it is because I had assumed that an Irish person had to have written it. Yeah, no, um, I wrote I wrote this song is the best Irish folks is this song is one of the best Irish folk songs. I don't care if that makes me sound like a poser. This song is a vibe. No, it's so good. And this is what's funny, too, because <laughs> I also now very closely associate it with Galway, which one of my best friends, Chris Mahone from Dublin, fucking hates Galway. And I like. I, it, it makes me realize that I think for a lot of people from other parts of the country, Galway is like a corny ass touristy town. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, no wonder I like it so much, dude, because when I'm in Ireland, I'm a fucking corny ass tourist. So oh, yeah, I love Galway. And clearly Steve does too. Um, shout out to the West of Ireland. Um, and my first trip over there when I spent, there was like really, really, really shitty weather one day. I mean, you know, there's always shitty weather, but to the point where it was like, uh, we got to just chill in the hotel for a little while. And um, I watched the Irish language version of uh, like say yes to the dress. <laughs> <laughs> and it like, I just oh, remember right. it's rules because it was called like fashion patient um, and was proud of myself for like, you know, every 20th Irish word that I could pick out 
um, but I had no idea what was going on. So anyway, that's my experience with Galway. There, I mean, yeah, you were spot on, dude, and right on for picking this as the best song. I say it all the time, man. The hits are the hits for a reason. This dude, is it's incredible. so good. It's incredible. Um, there's one thing in the book uh, about this, and um, also um, I just wanted to give proper shouts to the Irish people who worked on this song. Uh, Mary and Sharon Shannon and Dan Gillis were because this song was recorded over there. Absolutely. And um, God, it sounds like it, dude. And absolutely was. And Sharon Shannon is a name that a lot of Americans might not know, but um, she has the best her 1991 debut album. I wrote this down was the best-selling album of traditional Irish music ever released in Ireland. Really? Yeah. So, like, you know, she's legit, legit. Like, So a, he got legit, legit on this record. Absolutely. Like, That's you, brilliant. You go to Ireland, you go to Ireland, you get Sharon Shannon, like, you've got the big time. So, fuck yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... Um... Steve has asked, who exactly is the Galway girl? Barbara Lindbergh asked in the July 1st, uh, 2000 issue of Western Ireland magazine, Magpie. Though noted as a traveling type all his life, Lindbergh writes, this is one road Steve refuses to go down. I'm a gentleman and I'll never tell. Though he's quick to add, the women in West of Ireland are the most beautiful women in the world. <laughs> it clearly made quite an impact on Steve. <laughs> clearly. Um, not unlike, uh, you know, what goth kids in late eighties LA had on Tom Petty. Not um, unlike that. Um, <laughs> yo, um, I do want to ask though. Um, when's the last time you saw Steve live? Before the pandemic. Okay. Cause 2019, you, do you know what he did? He play golf. I'm assuming he played Galway girl. He absolutely played Galway. Did he golf. mess the lyrics around when you saw him? Cause the last two times I've seen him, he has, <laughs> he said uh because her eyes were black and her hair was blue oh i don't remember he's mixed he... those lyrics around and it makes me laugh every time <laughs> it's so funny and i think he knows That's... he's being funny he knows he's being funny when he says it because the way he says it it's very funny like he laughed like the second Dude. time he did it whenever we saw him in cincinnati that is such but, a yeah. fucking dad joke man it's so cute i love that it. is it's... it is really cute it's cute as hell oh steve um yeah, yeah. I love right. it. I mean, what a great song. Um, it fucking rules, man. Yeah. And then again, I mean, just to tie it all together before we move on, another frequent uh, Sharon Shannon collaborator, Sinead O'Connor. So the the family tree stays, stays tightly knit. Absolutely. Um, the next song is Lonelier Than This. Um, I wanted to like it more than I do. Because I, the like, the way Steve's lyrics capture what it feels like to be so fucking lonely, you feel like you want to just die from it. Um, that's a real and intense feeling. But there's, again, I, I have several points on this record where there's a big contrast between how I want to feel about a song or me really appreciating the lyrics and then just feeling like, but the music's not catching me. Damn, I really like this song. I think it's a hard, slow song. It is, yeah, not a chill song. A hard, slow song. 
Yeah, but I, th- I think it, like I think it is like a hard track. I think like the 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 subject matter is very. Um, I don't know. It's. I feel it. I like it. I, I don't skip this song, but I did only have one thing to say about it, and is this is a fucking hard slow track. <laughs> so that was all my thoughts. But I don't. I don't. I don't hate this song. I don't skip it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um. Sorry, something weird popped up on my computer and I just want to make sure we're like still rolling. We are great. Um, uh, yeah, hard, slow song. So this next song, wherever I go, this is the one I was referencing earlier where the heartbreakers, the heart. Yeah, I go, oh, I love this one. It gives me Tom Petty feels the organ really <laughs> gives me those vibes. And then There's I look up. Yeah, who's playing the organ? It's Ben Montench from the Heartbreakers. So of course. Um this is it's a it's a great song and it it just it's a testament to how fucking good of a piano and organ player uh Ben Tench from the Heartbreakers is that like I could identify that. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, that's that's um, amazing. Yeah. Um but this is a I like this song a lot. I love the line of like I could drink corn whiskey till my brain goes soft. I could run this highway till the wheels come off. Um, like, and these blues keep coming down around. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. It's 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 great. It's upbeat. It's cool. Um, I uh, I did just find a typo in the lyrics on the record. Oh yeah, what's the typo? <laughs> it says, uh, "Well, it starts. Well, I was born on a rainy day with a dark cloud hanging down low. Not it follows me wherever I go." Not it follows me. Not it follows me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I like this song a lot. Um, one thing I I wrote about this is um, the way this song starts makes me think about what Roxanne Cash said about Steve, and what Ronnie McCory said about Steve that he does his research. He does his research. Absolutely, like he learned this music to play. Like yeah, he did. he's playing this from a, a a a place of knowledge um and yeah i like this song a lot it's cool i like it too when i fall um okay this song is fucked tell me why this, it's fucked this song is the reason why this record got pushed out of the bottom three for me what why um because it broke my heart oh okay well i'm like i love i love the harmonica i love no like this was bottom three for me and now it this is what pushed you up yeah can't fall to bottom three okay so i was totally misunderstanding you so this is again it's it's neck and neck but this one is my favorite song this is your favorite song oh my god dude it's just over just over galway girl good choice yeah i I think it's a fantastic song. The harmonica, Stacy Earle's voice, both on her own. I used and to come and, and go on it, honestly. Yeah. I used to come and go on this, on her voice in this song, and now it will never lose me again. I totally agree, man. And there's something too about the, like they do, there's a lot of great tracks where it's just like Steve harmonizing with someone, right? But like that they both kind of like trade verses and both mm-hmm. sing on the chorus, like, it just really works. It's just like, again, a songwriter, like at his, at his best. Okay. So also, so this song, okay. So one, uh, my, my original thoughts, just 
where I come and go on Stacy's voice sometimes, but I'm usually here for it and I am here for it. Um, and the chorus in the song is killer. Um, those are my thoughts. And then I read about it and the extra concept, the extra context, this now makes me like emotional when I hear this song. What um, is tell, yeah. Tell us about it. So, um, so Steve approached Stacy about singing on the track after what had been a tough year for them on a personal level. Or on a personal level, after inviting Mark to play on Old Corazon, which we've talked about, he had reduced him to a secondary role in the studio band. During a break in recording, Steve and Mark got into a dispute over a referee's call in a Dallas Cowboys football game. They were watching in the lounge. A Cowboys fan, Steve thought the ref had blown the call. And after watching the replay, Mark, who's from Tennessee and much more into baseball and basketball than football, and is most certainly not signed up with America's team on any level, Pointed out the ref got it right. The tape proved it. Steve's sarcastic response was to inform Mark that he was only in the band because he was married to Stacy. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mark's reasoned response was to quit the band. And with that, he was gone. So now we really understand, because we've talked about this, we've danced yeah. around about this, Mark's <clears throat> feelings towards Steve. And this book actually did a pretty good job of not yeah, they didn't sugarcoat not, that. Right? Not or not giving this story earlier. Right. Which they could actually yeah. carrying a narrative of the time. Right. They kept it in time and they you got little seeds of this this disdain. Ooh. But yeah. Mark, I guess, did a good job of of being true to his time mm-hmm. and not like not uh poisoning the well of the story revealing it too early yeah revealing it too early which you know good good on him for being a good interviewee a good interviewee Um, like way to way to really like craft that narrative Um, yeah and the it and the dude who wrote this david mcgee who wrote this book like who assembled this book because it's a lot of different yeah books went into this book um but okay so hurt by steve's treatment of her husband stacy returned a guitar her brother had given her and they had barely spoken to each other in the ensuing months but with time came healing, when Steve asked her to sing on When I Fall, Stacy was in sessions for her second album, which would be titled Dancing with Dancing with Them That Brung Me. And again, include all original songs, save for a bluegrass infected rendition of Promise You Anything. So I kind of want to hear that, honestly. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Um, also, Cheryl Crow sat in on a lovely ballad, Kiss Her Goodnight on that record, meaning Cheryl Crow, super fucking cool lady. Probably didn't need to go sing on Stacy Earle's record, but, but did she it did because she likes music. That rules. <laughs> I've heard so Show Crow's awesome. Um, one I've of my come... buddies, yeah, go ahead. Uh, one of my buddies who lives well, he's not really he's he's my buddy via another buddy. I see him at my Kroger or my grocery store that I work at. I don't like revealing where I work. Everybody, because <laughs> I say disparity. <laughs> sometimes, but uh. Shops at, at, at my store and I see him every now and then, but he played in a Tom Petty cover tribute set with Cheryl Crow. Cheryl no Crow shit. was one of the featured people and he said she was very nice. <laughs> I've heard also really good things about her and she's just, I've come to like appreciate her more over the years. Like, yo, strong enough. Good song. Dude. Have you ever heard the difficult kind? I don't think so. I'm going to listen to Cheryl Crow. You're going to listen to the Chieftains and Sinead O'Connor. And I'm going to listen to Cheryl Crow. Um, We're cool. I, We're good friends. Um, that rules. 
Okay, so uh, the invitation came at a family barbecue at Patrick's house, their brother. Steve explained to Stacy that he was writing a song for a movie titled You Can Count On Me, and he wanted her to sing the second part. The song did not wind up on what was uh, a first-rate soundtrack um, to a well-reviewed small film that launched the career of Laura Lenny, which I did not know. Hmm. Um, and co-starred Mark Ruffalo as her troubled, drug-loving, prodigal brother. Um, but Steve liked it so much, he rolled it out for Transcendental Blues. So this song wasn't written for their personal experience. But knowing their personal experience and how Stacy was there to catch Steve all the time. Yeah. When he was, you know, doing all the stuff. Mm -hmm. So... In the studio at Room and Board, Stacy was isolated in a vocal booth with Ray Kennedy, who plays bass on the track, um, off to one side of her. Steve was in, an, in another room entirely, cutting his vocal at the same time. So they were running through singing this song together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran through the song, stopped halfway through, and rolled the tape for a second go around and nailed the take. What Steve and Ray didn't see was Stacy bawling like a baby. Her verse hit her hard. It was so dead on as to what she experienced through the dark times with her brother. I started crying during the first few words and I didn't stop, she says. Maybe a part of me wished it was written for us. Steve says it wasn't, but, you know, he maybe had the emotions to write it. I'd never Mm -hmm. cried like that before in my life. It was like 20-something years, just completely rushed out of my body. I wasn't crying so hard that I messed up the take, but I think it was many years and finally this roller coaster stopped and came to an end. As she listened to the playback with Stephen Ray, Stacy cringed at the sound of her voice. All she could hear were the tears. Boy, my voice really sounds, uh, I don't know, guys, she said blithely, politely potlick, or politicking for another take. No, we're keeping it, Steve announced. And so it was. Dude, that's incredible. All the hairs in my body stand up while I'm reading that. Yeah. I, it's just amazing to say, I, you know, knowing none of that i loved this song and now i'll like whew. right it's beautiful yeah and that's where i think i've come and gone on her voice sometimes because it is a bit intense it is yeah but now that i know why mm-hmm. i love it i love how intense it is yeah i oh. love that she was shaking to keep it together yeah like and all- it's just fucking amazing, dude. Oh my God. That's just, <laughs> God damn it. Like, it's just another fuck you, Steve, right? To For him to be like, I didn't write this about, about our relationship, but like, it still captured it um, in a way that gave Stacy just this fucking, that intense of a real and like cathartic moment, literally in the studio as she's cutting the vocals. Um, also, man, God damn it. Like that story though, about like <laughs> the, the fucking arguing over a football Cowboys game. game. Like, I mean, Steve only has, you know, two things that I dislike about him and that it is that he's both a New York Yankees and Dallas Cowboys fans. He has terrible taste in sports teams. <laughs> um, but 
God damn. So it, it just, just so funny. Cause clearly it, it was not about football at all, but like that mm-hmm. was, it is such a fucking dude from Texas thing that that was the thing that like yeah, sparked, you know, the big, yeah. Right. Well, it is obviously it is. Mark had been like pissed at yeah. him yeah. and had no real dog in the fight anyway, but yeah. just and to be like, yeah, no, fuck you. They were, that was the right call. And then Steve's like, only oh, then have Steve be like, all right, I'm going to get real as fuck I know, with you like right that, now and ruin our relationship. <laughs> I know, like that, that escalated very quickly. Um, Fucking wild. Which on, on the subject of escalating very quickly, you'll, you'll, you'll get there soon if, if you watch it. But this song also in the bear. Dude. Of, so two tracks off transcendental blues this record are on the bear in episode six the christmas episode while they're all sitting at dinner this song plays and that song has bob odenkirk in it jamie lee curtis gillian jacobs it is an all-star fucking cast for that episode it's brilliant well i'm looking up now and there's an article i'm gonna read after this but in in esquire apparently they did a a whole article about the bears season two soundtrack um which was curated by the show's creator christopher sorer Mm -hmm. and executive producer josh senior um these are um has been widely praised by 40 something year old dads (laughs) there you are nailed it (laughs) i'm like thank you 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 made this whole thing for me. I can't wait. Um, that rules. I love Dude, it. It's intense too because it's like that. That it's an episode like it's like a flashback episode like they did in the first season. Mm-hmm. So Burnthal's in it too. Yeah. And just to include this song, dude, in that flashback perfect. about the family. Yeah. God damn. I know it's intentional, dude. It's almost like they might know that thing I just read. Right. Dude. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there there's like so much I'm love that I'm seeing this, but like in both like Esquire, Variety, Enemy, or whatever, it's like interviews with Josh Senior, executive producer and music supervisor, because he clearly did a fucking killer job. Um crushed it, my dude. It's so yeah. good. I can't wait for you. Text me when you're watching it because I want to know your feelings. Will do. Absolutely will do. Um man, I'm I'm still like sitting with that story I know. about this song like i'm like not like my mind you know i'm here but i'm like my mind is a little bit somewhere else because well, i mean it's good dude yeah. like i'm so glad we're doing this because i would have yeah. maybe never stumbled across this story because i would have never really thought like i should read everything i can about steve earl right and also like th- we're we're how many episodes into this and how many of his records into this and we're still finding like little things like that that enhance yeah. this music so much. I mean, this is like I think this is our 18th episode and nine studio records. Um, but yeah, man, so cool. Many many hours, and I love it. It has truly enriched my life. I love it. Um, I mean, on that note, it's kind of hard to come down for that. I don't want to lose know. you yet. Is a I think it's a fine song, <laughs> but I don't really have a, a ton to say about it. He never gets this intimate in songs. Hmm. This song is intimate. I'm sitting with that. Like, 
like it's Never different it's intimate. very different like like physic this song is physically intimate in a yeah. way that's not like you know like rolled around with her in the back seat of a car oh okay i can see that right he he gets intimate on like human experiences and life and death and stuff like that no, but not is, not in like romantic love yes, and this is yeah. romantically intimate yeah song. yeah and i think it's i think it sets this song apart in a, in a lot of ways i also i hear similarities in the justin towns song that i can't put my finger on mm, i'm curious which one it's reminding you of yeah so at some point i'm gonna do a dive on justin's music to find what what i'm remembering when i hear this because i'm i always have like this weird thing i pick up like the fucking i feel all right uh the um poor boy thing yeah that, that he's borrows from early tracks that yeah. he's got like a same a same like riff or vocal pattern that he uses right. in that and so like i hear little things like that every now and then because i don't know how to play anything that's the only thing i can possibly add to this uh discussion <laughs> what do they call it callbacks that's what they yeah. call it. yeah that's yeah. fucking rules um um but yeah it. we can move on to halo around the moon then yeah i i know i'm a fucking broken record on this another one where i love the lyrics but the music is not i'm just not into like i wrote really? down I think this song's pretty i it's pretty but it's again it's not like it's not a skipper right like i want to be clear like this is not a skipper it's not a song i hate it's not the song i think is bad but i am finding a contrast when i hear lyrics like there's a ghost that haunts this town. Just ask anyone you see. He drags his chain around and no spell will set him free. And he looks a lot like me. And if you ask him why he's, why he's bound, he'll just say he lost the key. Um, whoa. For a, dude, for a dude with a lifetime of incredible fucking lyrics, that's up there. But the do you song... Just hate the, do you hate the harmonium songs on this record? Because it I, seems like that's the... I didn't... I didn't make that connection, but I think you might be onto something there. Cause, I, I have, well, cause the yeah. harmonium's heavy in, uh, in the boy who never cried and this song too. And this song. Yeah. Maybe I'm not but, a harmonium guy, but the boy who never cried is compared to this song. That song fucking sucks. Oh, I agree. I agree. I, with you I, I actually really like this song. Well, I, I, I like the harmonium on this song. I think that adds to it, but well, and that's what I'm saying too. Like the boy who never cried is a skipper for me. This is absolutely not a skipper. Okay. Um, it's just like, I wish, I wish I loved the whole thing more because I think the lyrics are fucking beautiful and intense. I think he has good delivery on this song. I think that, oh, also uh, Patrick Earl like helped on this record a bunch too. Mm. Um, I think he played drums on some of it. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of. I just realized very... that his name was on here and I was like, oh yeah, him and. The the uh, in addition to uh, Steve and Ray Kennedy, the Twang Trust, yeah, uh, Patrick Earl was very instrumental in this. I think playing some of the instruments. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about a lot of the, you know, uh, we mentioned obviously like Sharon Shannon, um, you know, Ben Montench from the Heartbreakers, Stacy Earl, but there's a lot of other names. Um, all-star cast you know what i mean that he's pulling out at this point and yeah on this song well, who's steve always played the harmonium it looks like yeah himself um but anyway yeah i don't want to get lost in the personnel um 
Oh, the other addition on when I fall, I wanted to mention this in addition to that incredible story, Stacy's vocals um, and Ray Kennedy, obviously Doug Lancio uh, was the guitar player on that track. He's played with Dylan. Oh, cool. Uh, Patty Griffin, you know, like a lot of, a lot of, he's like a, a Nashville guy, you know what I mean? Cool. But like a, a, a lot of big names um, that he's worked with. That's sick. Um, the next song, uh, Until the Day I Die, uh, the Bluegrass Dukes, who had to come in. Yep. When he, when he off put the <laughs> Del McCurry. Because of his foul language. <laughs> um, I love that. He uses them on this, which I think is cool because this is the uh, Bluegrass song he wrote on this record. Yeah, and it's a damn good song. Um, it rocks. <laughs> it rocks. And I, I, this is, I mentioned it on, I mean, this one, which is like fully a bluegrass song, but also, you know, back to Steve's last ramble, it's just like, you would not know that like this dude just learned how to play bluegrass like a year ago. Yeah. Um, because of how masterfully and at will he deploys it now. I, I um, wrote, I wrote, uh, this song is giving, oh brother, where art thou? And that is fucking badass. Yeah. I mean, it's speaking of, we'd mentioned this a little bit and talking about the mountain, like bluegrass kind of like having a moment Yeah. Um, at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is the year Oh Brother Where Art Thou came out and like, you know, fucking, you know, man of constant sorrow um, being like an actual, being like a hit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, which is crazy. <laughs> which, yeah, it's crazy. So you could, this is, it was a brief moment, but bluegrass had a, had a moment in popular culture in the year 2000. That was not uh, just, just not in the norm for what you would have expected to be like popular at the time, you know? Yeah. The media can do that, man. It can. Um, I do think this is a quintessential Earl subject matter on this record or on this song. Oh yeah. I Uh, totally agree. Yeah. It's good. Um, I also I also wrote. Uh, does Brian hate the banjo? I don't. Okay. Maybe it, maybe it's an exposure thing, <laughs> or maybe I replaced my you know weird banjo reaction with harmonium for this record. Um, maybe I'll always find some little thing that everybody else appreciates that annoys me for no reason. But um, yeah, I really I really like this song. Um, and I kind of like that it's like not. It could have been on the mountain. I'm glad it's not. I'm glad it's here. Yeah. Um, I think it fits. I think it yeah. fits here. So the next song we're coming close to the end here is "All My Life." Um, it's a it's a rocker that doesn't rock enough for me. Okay, that's where I'm at with all my um, life. I am so fucking hot and cold on this song. Mm. Tell me more. I wrote this song starts so badass. I love the riff. I love the verses. I love the attitude. But I fucking hate this chorus. Chorus not good. It fucking sucks. This song, I actually think, sucks. But if it had a different chorus, it would be my favorite song on the record. Interesting. You know what else? The other thing that sticks out to me is this is the only song on the record that only has three performers. It's Steve, Ray, and Patrick are all on drums. Um, oh, yeah. And there's, I don't you know, so for what that's worth, like, you know, the the power trio thing not really working out. But I think <laughs> it does work 
for everything but the fucking chorus, dude. I legitimately yeah. like if if this if I could cut the chorus out of this song and just not hear it at all and it just go verse 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 verse. I could see I would, that. I would listen to that. I would listen to that version. Yeah, there, there's a part of me that like as I'm thinking about the song is just a little bit like I can see what you were going for here and you just didn't do it. Um, like dude, everything like the the vocal pattern, the pacing, like the riff, the riff is sick. It's a decent riff. Yeah. And I like the mm-hmm. fuzz. I like I like this song. But I also hate this song. It's a unique in a for Steve, it's like a uniquely bad chorus. That's yeah. not not something <laughs> that's normal for him. It's shit. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking you, shit. Yeah. So let's move on to the last track, um, which I think is super significant, less because of what it is musically, but more because of who it's for and what it's about. Yes. Um, So this is Over Yonder, Jonathan's song, which is a tribute to a man named Jonathan Nobles, um, who is a convicted murderer in Texas that Steve befriended in the years before he was executed. And he was even... uh, one of the few people present at Noble's execution. Um, yeah, because... we talked about this at the end of the at the end of the mountain. I think we talked yep. about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there's a lot to to say about it. Uh, you, if if you want, and I might actually include this audio on the episode. There's about a minute and fifteen second clip on YouTube of Steve describing being there. Um at the execution that like somebody just uploaded, like you can't even not even cited like what interview it's from or anything like that. Um, but the, the day of he, Steve was interviewed. Um, I'm not here for any other reason, except Jonathan asked me to be here today. Earl said, but I still believe that what I just witnessed was murder. Although nobody in this prison is any more responsible than anybody else in the state of Texas or the whole country for that matter. That's sick. Yeah. Um, And I mean, that's, this is, it's just another example too of, I mean, Nobles was guilty. He, Mm -hmm. he, he killed innocent people um, and, you know, he did awful things and, you know, and, was very honest about like, you know, he apparently, I was reading a lot about this, gave a witness statement, uh, not a, you know, his final statement. Um, he addressed like everyone directly, including, um, I guess, I think it was the either boyfriend or partner of one of the people that he killed and, you know, who had gotten wounded in the attack. Um, and just, a you know, full ownership of like, there's nothing I could ever possibly do to like, make this up to you. You know what I mean? But just that, like Steve, you can just really see and hear, I think Steve hitting home the point of, yeah, even in the cases where the person is unquestionably guilty and unquestionably did a horrible thing, I don't see how anybody fucking benefits from the state murdering them. It doesn't bring him back. Um, and that's like a, a lot of the core of Steve's anti-death penalty activism, in addition to the fact that a lot of fucking completely innocent people <laughs> have been killed yeah. as well. Um, but that it's still 
still not worth doing and still wrong, even when the person is guilty. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an intense and, and, and beautiful song. Yeah, um, no, I it's a very peaceful track for it to be about capital fucking punishment. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's and, a, it's not one I reach for. <laughs> not one I reach for. And and it's interesting, right? Cause it's not, it's also not a Billy Austin, right? Like yeah. it's, it's not, it's not like sort of the epic storytelling um, that's there. Um, but, and I also think it's interesting, you know, as Steve often does, he, he chose to write it from the first person. Yeah. I mean, it's um, 20, it's 20 lines. Of yeah. Lyrics. And like the, the one, the, the, the part of the verse that I wrote down um, that I thought was just oof, beautiful and dark, but beautiful. And the world will turn around without me. The sun will come up in the east, shining down on all of them that hate me. I hope my going brings them peace. Yeah, I mean, like, dude, that's that's like, that's so fucking sad. Yeah. That's so fucking sad. Um, I've got a couple questions regarding the death penalty that he was asked in this interview. Mm-hmm. That I feel like go along with this. Um, if we if we want to if we want to hear more of his words. <laughs> I think that would be a, um, yeah, we're, we're coming around to the end. I think that'd be a good thing to include um, here. But yeah, um, as far as your campaigning against the death penalty, to what extent do you feel that should carry over into the music? And he said, it's important to me, and I think people expect it of me, so nobody in the core audience is put off by it. Even though some of them don't agree with me, they've been pretty good about letting me have my say. I don't beat people over the head with it at shows. I do allow any death penalty organizations to table at my shows and the subject will come up once during the show but i don't play billy austin and over yonder all in the same show i play one of them this hmm. year it will, it will probably be over yonder because it's new when that song comes up in the show they know they're going to have to hear it it's something i believe very strongly and i work very hard for i read a transcript from a speech you gave at south by southwest last year and in introducing your stance on the death penalty you said if you support the death penalty that's okay you don't have to listen to me. <laughs> I thought that was an admirable stance that most activists don't seem to take. He said, there's a moratorium in, in place in Illinois right now, and it's the result of people who oppose the death penalty be w- willing to work with people that fundamentally support the death penalty, but do agree that 13 wrongful convictions is way too many and needs to stop and be examined. That's what coalition is. I think the U.S. government could be vastly improved by forming a true coalition of diverse political parties rather than having a brand A and brand A and a half, which is what we have with the Republicans and the Democrats right now. Mm. Spot on, Steve. I I love that too, man. And it does remind me, I think in so many places in activism, but I think the the death penalty is definitely one, like it reminds him, him bringing up the word coalition reminds me of the work that I, I used to get to do with mm-hmm. TCASC, the Tennessee coalition to abolish state killing. And I didn't fully appreciate this or understand this at the time, I think just because of my age and and a lot of other things, but very little of it was about trying to convince people that supported capital punishment that like, you're wrong. It is, you know, morally wrong. It is like 
presenting you with evidence that innocent people have been killed by the state. Like that people that it turns out were not guilty or who now with what we know now, their guilt is highly questionable. Questionable. Yeah. Um, and yet there's no going back because once they're dead, yeah. They're yeah, they're dead, they're dead. Yeah. How can we continue to let this go unquestioned? How can there be a punishment that there's no recourse for um in a system that has proven itself not only to be imperfect, but like completely biased against, you know people of color, poor people, when meeting out, you know, the decision of like, is a crime going to be, what what punishment is one going to get um, for the crime? And there was so much of it. So it would be interesting to be like, in some spaces, there'd be a lot of the talk around like, yeah, this person did it and they owned up to it. And killing them is just going to add to the sorrow and it's not going to bring the people they hurt back. But a lot of the coalition building was done around just this idea of like, I'm not trying to convince you to not believe in fucking eye for an eye or like mm-hmm. challenge your religious beliefs or whatever. I'm just going to present you with evidence that like we collectively have killed innocent people through the yep. use of the death penalty. What does that make you want to think about whether we should just continue blindly letting people get sent to death row? You know, yeah. um, and I mean that was that was the thing we we talked about in the mountain. The mm-hmm. uh, the other thing Steve said was, if we we stop doing it, we have to admit that all the other ones were wrong too. That's right. And it's just this self fulfilling prophecy. It's just complete bullshit, and it sucks too because like I mean these judges and these people who, you know, uh, so many of them are appointed to these positions, and mm-hmm. um there's no there's no holding them to account when yeah. they have biases or they're ruling based on you know shit i mean dude with what's going on with the supreme court right oh now God. with all the yeah. all how how corrupt that shit is and how many yeah. of these people are getting paid to you know in gifts to yeah. support citizens united and all the different right. things that that they've done that have you know fucked over so many people yeah it's just like, complete it's complete hell and, it's a, uh it's an injustice system i mean fucking sick of it all sudden, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean yeah there's there it's it's like simultaneously there's so much more to say but also there's nothing more to say like that's what it is um because like, i mean yeah we think about so many things we think about the supreme court now i think about the judges and prosecutors, uh, this has been on my mind a lot lately in the West Memphis three case. Right. Oh yeah, dude. You know, obviously like that's a, that's a a perfect example of, you know, well, that's why they, you know, they made them take that uh, particular plea. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember the name right now, but you know, where it was like letting them go, but without, you know, um, you're never going to try to get recourse for yeah, where, where they came we, right. We did to you exactly. They can't come back against the state that took away all those years of their lives in prison and was set to kill them. Um, and it's one of the reasons too, um, <laughs> that like you know, Damien had to like really convince Jason to like take it because he didn't want to take it because yeah. he was like I let's keep fighting. I didn't do this. And it was only mm-hmm. like just the realization of, we know that's true, right. but we can't, how many more years can we spend here? Can we give up. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And, but that's the way it was designed because like there was, you know, not just immorality, but criminal liability there should be for so many cops, prosecutors, judges, and others in Arkansas. And none of them face any accountability. Um, This so damn, I mean, we, we opened and closed this one on some dark fucking notes, but I've got, I've got an uplifting note. Two things, this, this very sad, peaceful song about capital punishment lines in this song reminded me of things one of them's gonna call back to us talking about the wire earlier <laughs> when he says in the song i suppose i got it coming i can't ever pay enough all my ripping and running i heard everyone i loved when i hear ripping and running i think about when omar's on the stand and he's <laughs> got that tie tied around his neck yeah, in the most ridiculous way. And they ask him what he does for a living, and he says, "I rip and run." I rip and run, dude. <laughs> and that shit. Me and my dad used to say that to each other all the time. Yo, and man, we were both watching the wire. Speak. Shout out, Michael K. Williams. Rest in peace, King. Rest in peace. And I also have one other insanely stupid story. Let's hear it. That the sun come up on the east line reminded me of. So there's a band from here called Xerxes. They were like little brother band when I was like, I was older than them and I got to watch them, you know, grow up and didn't always like the music they were playing. But man, I was there stage diving when, when, when I could for, for them and supporting them and, and all their musical uh, um, exploits for as long as I could keep up with them. Yep. There's one tour where I heard this story where they're on the or they're on the West Coast. They'd gotten to California. They drove overnight. They get where they're staying and the sun's about to come up. And two of them are like, we're going to go walk to the beach and watch the sun come up. (laughs) (laughs) And they walked, they walked like five or six blocks to the beach. And the, the couple who like stayed back at the apartment. And they were all sitting there, and then someone goes, "So no one's gonna tell them. That so nobody's gonna, gonna rustle behind them. <laughs> Should we tell them? No, <laughs> they'll find out. That's so funny. So fucking cool. I love that story. It's such a good story. That is hilarious, <laughs> brother. That is a perfect note to end on. Yeah. All right, Life's man. sad, but sometimes it's really funny and sometimes it's really stupid. And sometimes those are the same thing. Absolutely. All of the fucking above. Oh. Um, man, this was a great one. Rest in peace, Sinead. Thank you, Steve, for everything. And thanks to all of you for continuing to listen. We'll see you soon. See you soon.